everyone, this is Joel from Sherwood. Today, our special guest is Dr. Charles Lowry. His unique background as a psychologist and his easy style of humor laced with dynamic delivery makes him one of the most sought after speakers in America. So join us today as Dr. Lowry teaches on Thanksgiving. I'm so excited about being here, I tell you what. Michael and I look forward to this. Matter of fact, Penny put me on the plane and said, uh, I know you're not even gonna think about me for five days. You and Michael are gonna be having so much fun, but I'm glad to get rid of you. Go ahead. So uh, <laughs> Mike and I both married introverts, and so uh, Terry and Penny are just kinda, uh, they enjoy these five days when we're together because Michael and I are extroverts, and so we just talk to each other. We don't listen. We just reload waiting for the other guy to get through, and then we get to talk. So it's uh, a great time together, and I do appreciate the earplugs, Terry. I will use them. Uh, probably too much about your pastor you don't want to know, but when he sleeps, it's like a train coming. It's just, it's just like it, it's way out there, so it just builds up steam and speed and noise like it's coming, you know, just coming at you. And, uh, and it just gets louder and louder, and you think it's coming through the room. And then it, it's, like it, it's like it hit something or it went off the, the mountain or something. It's like nothing. I mean, so then you're worried. You think the guy died. I mean, he's, you know. This is the big one. I got to go check his pulse, you know. And, and by the time you almost get ready to get up to check his pulse and think he's dead, the train starts again. <laughs> so uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great time together. And, of course, Michael has two girls. I have th three girls. So it's just man time, too. We've been hit by blunt force drama so much that uh, we're just trying to, you know, survive it and get over it. People always ask, what do you do? Well, let me see if I can explain it to you. How many remember when the only thing you had to play with was the outside? Anybody remember that? The outside. I mean, I mean, we're excited. One year it rained a lot that summer, so we got a new ditch. You know, uh, you know. What did you, what did you play with when you were a kid? The ditch. You know, mother would say, go go play in the ditch. Uh, Actually, it's, it's easier now with kids because I travel with my grandkids. It's easier with kids now to travel because they don't look up. I mean, they're doing this the whole time, you know. Uh, I told my grandson the other day, why don't you come over at my house and I'll watch you stare at your phone and uh, <laughs> just have some family time together here. Uh, when, when, I, when our kids were young, the only thing you had was the outside, okay? So you had to count cows and Volkswagens. Remember that? You know? So after like 50 miles, you're done. I mean, and then they say things like, she's breathing my air, you know, stuff like that. You know? I used to tell my wife, any trip over 100 miles, I know why animals eat. They're young, you know, because this is tough. Uh, but so we had the outside. So when I was a kid, the only thing we had to play with the outside. So we played marbles. Anybody remember marbles? Remember marbles? You named them, you know, like roly-poly and black beauty and steely, you know, you named your marbles. Uh, and, and my dad was a Baptist preacher. You know, that's why I became a psychologist. Most of you know that. And so my dad was a Baptist preacher, and uh, we lived at the parsonage. And for a time, it was actually lived at the church. And so he said, you can play for marbles, but you can't play for keeps, you know, because that, that's too much like gambling. And, you know, Baptist, we're pretty much against everything. And so, and uh, if it's fun, you can't do it. If it tastes good, spit it out. And so uh, I, uh, uh, so you can't, you, you can play marbles, but you can't play for keeps, okay? You can't play for keeps. Uh, so, uh, so I'm a kid, so what do I do? I, I play for keeps, you know, that's what you do. You know, you disobey your parents, you be fun, you know, play for keeps. Uh, 
And there's always a bully, somebody in the neighborhood, somebody bigger, somebody stronger, and he'd threaten to beat you up or, or hit you. Or, and it, but but any, anyway, no matter how, he, he'd do all kind of stuff. And then after a little while, you realize, I've lost my marbles. I've lost my marbles. Well, what are you going to do? Well, if you had a good father, I did have a good father. I'd go to him. You have to be honest. Gotta, I tell people all over the country, you got to face it to fix it. Truth's going to set you free, but you got to face it to fix it. And so uh, I told my father, I, I, I disobeyed. I played for keeps, and, and I've lost my marbles. And then he would go confront the bully, and sometimes the bully's dad, and, and would get my marbles back. Well, that's what I do. I go around the country, and lots of people, how can I say this delicately? Well, you've, you've lost your marbles. <laughs> And I tell you how good your heavenly father is and how you got to tell the truth. If you disobey, you got to tell the truth and you get your marbles back, right? So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to try to get some of your marbles back, all right? Can't get all of them. That's why we bring the table resources, you know, because uh, some of you need a psychologist in your car, all right? And so, because uh, your mate told me that. So, but anyway, you need that. So today we're going to help you get some of your marbles back. And I call it a life of thanks living. You know, we just had Thanksgiving Day, but, but how do you live a life of thanks living? So we're going to try to put some practical footsteps on Psalm 100. Here's what Psalms 100 says. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. We've already done that today. I like your music guy. He, he smiles. He be, you know, he's, uh, we make a joyful noise. Some of you, it was noise. I understand, but that's okay. Uh, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with sadness so everybody know how holy you are. That's uh, not in yours, huh? Serve the Lord with what? With gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. So you make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye land. Serve the, come into his presence with what? With singing. Singing's good for you. It's just good for you. Now, why is it good for you? Well, one reason, it gets you looking up. It gets you, if, if you have a kid crying, you know, kids only, kids cry like this. You ever seen a kid? So one thing, one technique you can do, this is just kind of a little psychological help here. Uh, yeah, you just kind of get them to lift their head up. Just lift their head up. If you can lift your head up, it's, it's, it's harder to cry like this. It'll promise you, it's harder to cry. You don't see many people crying like that, you know. Uh, singing lifts your head up, you see. Singing starts you thinking about God. Singing starts to change your focus. Your focus is not on your problems now. Your focus, you're starting to focus on the, on the power of God. Hey, uh, so make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Oh, you serve the Lord. With, come, know you that the Lord, he is God. Thank good he's God and you're not. And the, thank good the politicians aren't. You know, know that he is God and you're not. Uh, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So what do we do? We enter into his gates with what? With thanksgiving. Enter into his gate and its courts with what? With praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Why? Because the Lord is good. He's a good God. Let me tell you what happens. You come to church and you start thinking about the holiness of God. And we ought to. The Bible says he's holy, holy, holy. You know? And we talk about the holiness of God. We think about the holiness of God. But that does not encourage you, if you're honest, the holiness of God does not encourage you. Matter of fact, if you're honest, and it should, it scare the liver out of you, right? I mean, it should scare the liver out of you, the holiness of God. I mean, you, I mean, you know how sorry and no good you are. Uh, uh, I mean, 
I know how sorry. I just know some of you a little bit. And you're pretty sorry, no good. I am too. You know, we're all sorry, no good. You know, that's why Jesus had to come, because you're sorry, no good. Uh, And so when we think about the holiness of God, we think about us, that's discouraging. That's discouraging. And that's what some churches do. That's all they do, talking about the holiness of God. And you start doing like this, don't you, man? I don't get out of here. You always balance the holiness of God with the goodness of God. The goodness of God. That's what's going to encourage you because you realize the goodness of God. My favorite theologian is Dennis the Menace. Remember, remember Dennis? And deep down, I'm real shallow, so I like Dennis. Uh, it kind of sums things up. Uh, Dennis is old Mrs. Wilson's. Remember Mrs. Wilson's? Old Mrs. Wilson's house. And uh, Mrs. Wilson's giving a bunch of cookies, a bunch of cookies. And Dennis says, uh, uh, turned to his buddy, he's got a buddy with him, said, isn't, isn't these cookies good? He said, they're good. And he looks at Dennis, he says, why is Mrs. Wilson giving us cookies? Does she think we're good? And Dennis looks at him and says, no, she knows we're no good. She's my neighbor, you know. And then he says this, Mrs. Wilson doesn't give us cookies because we're good. Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies because she's good. My friend, I'm not up here because I'm good. I'm as sorry no good as you are. <laughs> Ask Michael, he'll tell you. Uh, I'm up here because he's good. And once you start to focus on that, that's what encourages you. Then what does it say? It says, his truth endures forever. And one, one, well, no, let's, let's stop. Hey, uh, try to hurry here. Don't, don't hurry me, okay? Uh, it says, why is he good? Because his what? His mercy is everlasting. Wow. Lady looked at the photographer and said, do me justice. He looked back at her and says, you need mercy. How many of you want mercy? How many want mercy? Yeah, we don't want, you don't want, I promise you, you do not want justice. You want mercy. He is a God of mercy. Yes, he's holy, 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 but let me tell you, he's good, good, good. Matter of fact, he's so good, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into our world to make me and you holy, holy, holy. That's how good this God is. And his truth endures forever. There's a way to live life that works in every generation. Now, it works in the long term, not in the short term. Because, you know, every, every young generation, they think, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to do, do, do it my way. You know, do and eventually they find that his way works. Like, I, I'm always in airports. That's kind of what I do. And sometimes I'm in an airport late at night, and they have these people movers. You know, you, it's like a... It's like an escalator that's level, you know what I mean? And so you could walk and actually make a lot of time because it's moving too. But usually it's late at night and there's usually some teenagers in the airport, you know, usually boys like 13 or 14, which, you know, their IQ is like plant life. And so, uh, <laughs> hey, I've, I've known some. That's the way it is. I got grandkids now about that age. So, uh, and they decide to go up the people mover the wrong way, you know. Why? Because they can, you know, because they're young and they want to, you know. So, so it's coming this way and they're going so fast they can actually make progress going the wrong way. And sometimes when you're young, you think you can make progress going the wrong way. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> Just wait. Matter of fact, take a little break. Take a little break and just stand there. You'll end up right where you came from. His, you better live your life the way he says to live your life. I'll never forget 
because I'm in a lot of hotels, USA Today, I look at it every now and then, and uh, I never will forget, USA Today, front page. It was, I think, Hurricane Andrew. It's the, it was the big hurricane that hit South Florida. I don't, I don't know, hard to keep up with all the names. Uh, big hurricane in South Florida. And they showed this subdivision that was totally devastated, totally devastated, except right in the middle was one house. Looked like a little damage maybe to the roof, but pretty much looked perfect. I mean, it, it was an amazing picture to see all this rubbish and right in the middle, that one house. So they interviewed the guy. They said, man, you are the luckiest guy in the world. I mean, for all this to happen, everybody else said nothing to happen to you. Here's what he said. I'm not lucky at all. When I moved to South Florida, I did the research on how do you build a house that withstands 130 mile an hour winds. And that's exactly what I did. When it says put concrete, I put concrete. He said, I'm not lucky at all. I built it according to code. You know what the Bible says? Storms are going to come to the same houses. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian house. Doesn't matter if you're a pagan house. The same storms are going to come. But if you build it according to code, if it's on the rock, you're going to be standing. See? Oh. His truth endures forever. Okay, now let's, let's, Michael said I had to talk about Psalms 100 because he wants me to be a real preacher. So uh, I got that over with, all right? Did good, didn't I? That's good preaching, wasn't it? Uh, really good preaching. Uh, so now let's see if we can put some practical things on this, okay? So I want to teach you how to live a life of thanks, T-H-A-N-K-S. And we, we, you know how I preach. We may get through it, we may not, but we'll see. Uh, that's why he has to invite me back every year. One guy stand up front today said, you've never actually finished a message here and you've been coming forever. I said, that's how I get invited back. And so, uh, yeah. so how do you live a life of, of thanks? T, of course, stands for thinking. That's why the Bible says you have to constantly renew your mind. You've got to learn to think the way God wants you to think because your emotions will come from what you're telling yourself. And by the way, you cannot be listening to yourself all the time. you got to talk to yourself, okay? You can't follow your heart. You got to lead your heart. You got you to talk to yourself because the world system is always out there. And so you got to constantly renew your mind to think God's way because your body is going to respond. Your emotion will respond. Not, what's tr not what is true, but what you tell yourself is true. Uh, when, when I was, uh, you know, I am a trained psychologist. So for the first part of my life, I actually worked uh, at a mental health clinic. You know, I've I left the mental health clinic. I, I couldn't tell the staff or the patients, you know, uh, except the staff had the keys. Other than that, I couldn't tell a whole lot of difference. Uh, the patients, uh, staff seemed to have as many problems as the patients had, you know. And so uh, I had to have a unique life. One week I worked at a mental health clinic. Next week I worked at a Baptist church. Uh, people say, is that a big adjustment? I say, no, staff still have the keys. Other than that, I can't, I can't tell a whole difference. But, uh, so, uh, but I was at a mental health clinic, and uh, I was what we call Chief of Diagnostic and Clinical Services. That was my title. Now, what that meant was I was the guy responsible for a diagnosis, okay? So if you don't have a diagnosis in the psychiatric world, you do not get insurance payment, all right? Because the whole world moves on insurance. You know that, don't you? Raise your hand if you know that. You know, so so uh, I just did the uh, uh, Texas Medical Convention, and the doctors were telling me they don't practice medicine anymore. They just follow insurance protocols. You know, that's just what they do. Uh, but that's, don't get me off on that. So uh, I was a mental health clinic, chief of diagnostic clinical services. 
had to come up with a diagnosis for the patient to get uh, uh, services. So every Wednesday afternoon, we would have a diagnostic clinical meeting. So we'd have psychiatrists, psychologists, psychiatric nurses, uh, psychiatric social workers, all this team to come up with a diagnosis. And you can imagine it was a very boring meeting. I mean, it was a boring meeting. So I was walking around the mental health clinic one day, and I thought, how can I liven up the meeting? I mean, how does get some energy in here? And so, uh, by the way, energy, uh, there, there'll be many times when you come to church and you don't remember what was said, but it'll help you by coming. Why? Because of the spiritual energy you got by being here. And you don't even remember it. You don't remember it. Uh, they did an interesting study. Uh, uh, back to the mental health clinic. You hold my place right there. Mental health clinic. When I look at you, just say, mental health clinic. We'll be back there. Okay. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a study where they took this guy who had lost all of his short-term memory. Okay. Lost all of his short-term memory. Couldn't remember anything. You could tell him what your name was. Five minutes later, he wouldn't know. Brain wasn't working. Lost his total short-term memory. So, psychologists like stuff like that. I mean, they don't like the guy that can't do it, but, but let's take advantage of it. So, they would have this guy come to the clinic every day, and they would shake his hand and, of course, tell him his name and everything. He wouldn't remember any of it. But one day, when they shook the hand, they had a little pin inside their hand, and it, it stuck him with it, and it stuck him like that, you know. Uh, and, and they thought, well, no big deal. He's going to forget that. Forget that. The next day, couldn't remember anything. The next day, the doctor put out his hand, and the guy put out his hand, and he flinched. Why? Because the feeling was in another part of the brain. You see, he remembered the feeling. You can remember. That's why we come to church to get this spiritual energy. That's why we talk about how God is good, because you need that spiritual energy when you leave here. Where were we? Mental health clinic. I like you. You're all right. Uh, <coughs> I was at the mental health clinic, and I wanted to... Liven up the meeting. So I was walking around the mental health clinic, and I saw a gorilla suit. Okay? Now, why would they be a gorilla suit in the mental health clinic? I don't know. You know but uh, uh, the mental health clinic is a government-sponsored operation. It was kind of the, the medical school of Georgia, and then the, the state of Georgia, mental health, so got government money. Okay? So anybody work for the government, you know, you got to spend all your money this year to get the same amount next year. That's why we're stinking broke. But anyway, that's the way it works. Uh, so... So somebody evidently bought a gorilla suit, you know, because they had to spend some money. Uh, uh, so I thought, let's make use of government funds. Uh, let's wait until everybody gets in for the clinical diagnostic meeting, and I will gorilla in in my gorilla suit. You know, it's one of those things that kind of sounded good, you know, but you didn't really think through. Uh, and and uh, so, which Michael and I have made a career of doing. And so I. Uh, I thought, that's what, it's a good idea, it's a good idea. So everybody got in there, I waited, put on the gorilla suit, boom, ran right in there, and they took off. <laughs> I forgot this one fact. This one fact is this. You never totally relax when you work at the mental health clinic. I mean, you just never totally, you know, you don't know what, what, what is that, you know. Because, you know, I mean, you see some strange people. I mean, I, I used to see some strange people. I mean, they, they'd look around, I'd look around. I wonder what they're looking for, you know. Uh, one guy was so paranoid, he thought the people in front of him were following him. That's strange, you understand? So, uh, uh, so, so they just took off. They took off. So what did I do? I decided to chase a little nurse down the hall, you know. Uh, and, uh, and she's running and looking back and running, and I'm kind of gorilling after her. 
And she kind of gets to an area where there's no place out, you know, no, she's stuck. There's no place else to go. And so I just kind of grilled up to her. And she's like hyperventilating. She's about to pass out. I mean, she's, she's stressed out. So I took off the grill ahead and say, it's not a gorilla, it's not a patient, it's me, Dr. Lowry. And I won't, I won't tell you what she said, it wasn't very nice. But uh, <coughs> <coughs> now, did she have a lot of stress? Oh, yeah. But wasn't any of it true, see? And that's, why, that's the way you got to be very careful of what you tell yourself. Because your body, it, it'll just respond to whatever you tell it. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. Some of you stressed out, frustrated, depressed. Why? Because you tell yourself the wrong thing, you see. Uh, you, have to, you have to constantly renew your mind. Okay, now, thinking is just a matter of one thought at a time, okay? One thought at a time. Uh, and uh, matter of fact, if, if, if somebody had a panic attack, uh, this is... This is good therapy today. I won't charge the church anymore for this, but it's pretty good. This is good therapy here. So, like somebody's having a panic attack. If you want them to calm down, what you do is you just look them in the eye and say, could you repeat these numbers for me? And you give them numbers like 12, 24, 13, 15, 17, 96. And they start repeating. And they're random numbers, so they got to really focus on that and repeat those numbers. I promise you, their blood pressure, everything will start to calm down. Why? Because they're thinking about the numbers now. They're not thinking about whatever the panic attack's bringing on, you see. The brain can only have one thought at a time. That's why the Bible's always talking about renewing your mind. Matter of fact, your past doesn't exist. Your past can only exist when you bring it back up in your mind. It doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. It's, it's out of here, you know. It, 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 like a tree, it left. It's gone. It's like a leaf. It's gone. So we have to understand that. So thinking Got to constantly renew your mind, and it's just a matter of focus. It's a matter of focus. I just uh, finished a series on Joseph living the dream. It's amazing the difference between Joseph and his brothers. And one of the main reasons is what Joseph focused on and what his brothers focused on. You see, his brothers focused on excuses, why they couldn't be what God wanted them to be. And Joseph focused on excellence, you see. Uh, matter of fact, when he had the biggest temptation, remember Mrs. Potter for a while, you know, he focused on what he had not what he didn't have. That's why he's able to handle temptation. What God has given him. And by the way, the more tension you have in the present, the more extension you have to have in your future of what you can be if you don't give in to this temptation. That's why the Bible says without a vision, the people perish. Vision in secular terms and psychological terms is goals. You know, it's pictures. It's things that you can see out there. See, uh, and the more tension you feel right now, you want something pleasurable, the more extension you have to have of your vision of what you can be if you don't do this right now, what you will be able to be later. It's just a matter of focus. Because, see, the brain always, remember we come from Adam's family, remember Uncle Adam? The brain always focuses on what you don't have. You know, remember Adam and Eve? They had everything, everything the world c could offer them. Uh, God says you got it all, but not this. What did they focus on? That. And we all come from Adam's family. You all have that in you. I have that in me. And you've got to constantly guard against that. It starts at an early age. My daughter, Brianne, I was going to teach her how to ride the bicycle. Fall of the year, I took her to a water park. Not a car in the parking lot. I mean, just asphalt. I said, look at this, Brianne. You're going to be a bike rider. Going to feel the wind against your face. Not a car out here. Man, I had to ride on sand and rocks. Because remember, the only thing I had was a ditch. So I had to ride on sand and rocks. But you're going to go on the asphalt. You're going to be a bike rider. She was excited. I was excited. Got that bike out. Look at all that asphalt. 
I said, Daddy, what's that way down there? I said, don't worry about that. You're a bike rider. Well, Daddy, that's a pole. Well, I know it's a pole, but look at all this asphalt. What if I hit the pole? You don't get the pole, Brian. Look at all this asphalt. Well, if I hit the pole, it's going to hurt. It's not going to hurt because you're not going to pole. Look at a little bicycle. You're not teaching a kid how to ride a bike. Don't you run like crazy. Feel the wind against your face. You're a bike rider. What if I hit that pole? You're not going to hit the pole. Go. She headed straight for the pole. <laughs> Daddy, I'm headed for the pole. Turn it to the right. Look at all that asphalt. I can't turn it to the right. I'm headed for the pole. Turn it to the left. Look at it. Turn it. I she mutilated that pole. <laughs> By the time I got there, lips stuck out, tears in her eyes. I told you I was going to hit that pole. <laughs> I said, I know, Brianne, because you focused on the pole. Let me tell you why most of you don't live a life of thanks living. Because you're pole hitters. Here a pole, there a pole, everywhere pole, pole. <laughs> I'm in probably about 50 churches a year. There's a lot of pole hitters in churches, you know, that pole hit. Matter of fact, the longer you're in church, the more you have a tendency to be like the elder brother, the more you look for poles, you know. It's flag day, flag wasn't big enough. Prayer day, prayer wasn't long enough. It's too hot, it's too cold, it's too loud. They didn't sing this, why they sing that? Just pole hitters, pole hitters. They're everywhere. You, you, you got a pole in your family. I guarantee you got a pole in your family. Every family tree has a sap. You got a pole in your family. Instead of joining Thanksgiving dinner, what did you do? You talked about the pole, didn't you? One if the pole comes, one if the pole doesn't come, one if the pole comes drunk like last year. One <laughs> if the pole brings her that other pole. What are we going to do about that? And by the way, it's always been that way and it always will be that way until God creates a new heaven and a new earth. See, not only does God have to kill your body to get you into heaven, he can't redeem your body. He can't, he's, he can't redeem the world. He's going he's to do away with the world, create a new heaven and a new earth. And so long as you're down here, that's the way it's going to be. Remember the first church relocation committee? They had a chance to go to the promised land. I mean, the promised land, how good is that? Not good enough. Ten came back not with grapes, with gripes. Not going. Poles. Big poles. Giants. Not going. Can you imagine God's people not going to the promised land? But two, two came back with grapes. Look how big these grapes are. What God said is true. These are huge. Oh, they said there. That's proof, all right. Only big giants could grow big grapes like that. We're not going. And they didn't go. Read it. I promise you. It, it doesn't make sense, but they didn't go. The people of God had a chance to live in the promised land, and they decided to live in pitiful land the rest of their lives, griping and complaining. Let me ask you, do you live in promised land or do you live in pitiful land? It's a huge difference. <laughs> Huge difference in your quality of life, I promise you. You see, it's not the facts. It's the focus. The facts are there's something wrong with everything. I mean, you know that. The line you're in slows down. The reason it slows down because you're in it. You just switch lines. You slow down the other line. You ever notice that? You know, uh, The mate that snores goes to sleep first. You know that one. The barcode never works on the most embarrassing item. Michael and I know that. We've raised girls. 
My wife used to give me that grocery list, and I said, I'm not buying that. She'd say, yes, you are. You the daddy. You buying that. I'm the daddy. I'm buying that, but I'm going to sneak through. You know how we do, guys, sneak through, nobody watching. Price check. They hold it up. I, I say, put it down. I'll pay anything. Get me out of here. It's not the facts. The facts are there's something wrong with everything. You might have heard about grandma and grandpa. They took their grandkids on vacation. They turned on this interstate, saw this big sign, Natural Park. They thought that'd be good for the grandkids, nature trails, things like that. They pull in and realize this really is a natural park. Let's be politically correct here. What would be the word? Clothing optional lifestyle. How's that? Uh, some of you know it as a nudist camp. This this is South Georgia. For you Bubba's, I'm talking naked people, all right? Uh, uh, they got their grandkids in a nudist camp. They're trying to get the car turned around. Here comes four people on bicycles, I mean dressed as jaybirds, coming right at them. They're trying to get the hands up so the kids can't see, but you know kids. Look at Papa, look at those people, look at those people, look at them. Look at them on those bicycles. They don't have, they don't have, look at them. They don't, they don't, they don't have, they don't have their safety helmets on. <laughs> now, how could they focus on that? Because that's what they've been taught their whole life to focus on. See? You know what the Bible says? To focus on things that are praiseworthy. You're to focus on the good stuff. You know what the Bible says? Don't even speak a negative word. Every word you speak should be a word of edification, a good word. Why? Because if you can see the God in the situation, eventually you'll see the good in the situation. See, the cross is the biggest plus sign in our life. If Jesus can take the cross, the worst thing anybody can do to somebody and make it the best thing for everybody, then in the long term, whatever the world does to you, he can take and use for you. If you give people the power, you'll pity yourself. You've been around those people, they're always saying, so-and-so did this, and they said this, and that's why I'm bad at work, and they did this. You know, they're, they're, they're giving people the power, and they pity themselves. Their favorite hymns, I love to tell the story. They tell it over and over and over again. But people who give God the power pity other people because they're sad that they would do such a thing to them, but they're not sucked in. Why? Because whatever they do to them, God can take and use for them. So, uh, T stands for thinking. That's, that's pretty good. That's not much time left, but that's got through T. That's pretty good. H is happy. You know what the Bible says? The joy of the Lord is our strength. I believe joy could be the greatest evangelism tool to the church if we just had some, <laughs> you know, just had some joy. Put a smile on your face. People are, people are so attracted to joy. You know, Jesus, to start his ministry, what did he do? You think it'd be an all-night crusade or cottage prayer meeting? He went to a party, didn't he? The wedding feast at Cana. Didn't share the four spiritual laws with anybody. He just had a good time. The reason we don't win any lost people is because we're trying to convict them without connecting with them. You don't go to enough parties. <laughs> You're not around those people enough. You're not connecting with them the way Jesus connected with them. Even the worst sinners wanted to be around Jesus. Why? Because he was always connecting with them. You see, have some fun. Enjoy life. Joy, joy is very attractive. And then uh, I'm going to get a few letters here. In. So I'm not gonna tell you, a lot of stuff about that, but I'm not going to tell you. Okay. Uh, T-H-A, allies. Allies. 
You're going to need some friends to get through life. You're going to need some friends. Uh, they tell us down in uh, West Texas, they tell stories about the rangers. They're pretty crude stories about the Texas rangers down in the desert. And they try to scare the rookies to death. They tell them all about the, the rattlesnakes and all the stuff that can get you down there. And one particular seminar they give, they say now, they don't tell you this anymore, but they used to, you know, where they'd say, take a knife and, and jag a place where you can suck the venom out if the rattlesnake uh, bites somebody. So this, this guy was going through all the gory details and this little rookie on the front row's eyes getting big. And he, and he, and he, he just tells everybody, he's just, he can't take it anymore. He said, but Captain, Captain, what, what would happen if that, if, if, if that snake bit you in, in, in your rear end? And he said, well, I guess you'd find out who your friends are. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you, you live life long enough it's going to bite you in the rear end. And you're going to find out who your friends are. You need friends. You need friends to do five things. See if I can remember them. wasn't in the message, but I think you need it. Okay, so five things. You need a listening ear. You need a friend who will just listen to you. You need a sensitive tear. Uh, somebody to cry with you. Michael and I, our golfing buddy down there, is a friend of ours who lost his wife, 61 years of age, about two months ago. And I've talked him into coming. He's going to play golf with us every day, but part of us is just going to encourage him, just encourage him. He, he, a listening ear, a sensitive tear, truth without fear. Some, you need somebody to just tell you the truth. A friend that'll, you, you know they love you, so you know they're telling you the truth. Uh, then you need a, a good cheer. Did we say that one? A, a good cheer. You need... Uh, how many is that? There's one more. I can't think of it right now. But, uh, but, a, but a friend's always near, all right? Uh, tear, fear, rear, cheer, near, okay? That's four of them. One day I'll come up with the next one and tell you, okay? Uh, it wasn't in the message. That's pretty good, but not bad. Okay, so uh, allies. You need some allies. N stands for negative people, negative people. There's some people in this world, if they drowned, you'd look for them upstream because they're against everything. I mean, they're just those people. Uh, uh, they, they, can, they can find a dark cloud in every silver lining. Uh, I always tell young people, if, if you had somebody on a desk, you could, you could pull that person off that desk pretty easy but it would be very difficult for that person to pull you up. It's very difficult to pull people up, but it's very easy to tear people down. If you're in a position of leadership, now let me, let me tell you this story. We'll, we'll do it anyway. Uh, my brother and I were a member of what's called Mega Metro. Michael's a member of the group. It's mega church pastors all over the country. And uh, years ago, they were asking, what encourages you about... Uh, uh, being in a mega church. And so uh, my brother, uh, Fred, told a story. Here's what he said. He said, what encouraged me is I went to my brother's church and I found out lots of people didn't like him. And that was a real encouragement to me. I thought, well, thank you, Fred. I appreciate that. Uh, but then he went on to say, 
My brother Charles, you know him. He's an extrovert. He's always telling jokes, laughing with people, talking to him. Everybody likes Charles. He said, I'm an introvert. I'm aloof. I'm back. I, I don't know what to say. I'm shy. And lots of people, don't, you know, they just don't respond to my personality. But I went to Charles's church, and I realized lots of people in his church didn't like him. And I thought, wait a minute. Everybody likes Charles. I mean, he's got that likable personality. He said, and then it hit me. It wasn't his personality they didn't like. It was his position. Now he was making decisions as pastor that people didn't like. Whenever you're in a position of leadership, whether you're a, a pastor or a leader or a parent, you're going to make decisions other people do not like. So just take a Q-tip and carry it around with you, which stands for quit taking it personal, all right? It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the fact that God has put you in some leadership position, and there's always going to be people who are negative about that. K, we won't get to S, so that's okay. We'll get to K. K stands for know how life really works. Know how life really works. And if you can get this, my friend, this could change your life. If you can just get this one. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Even when people do evil against you, don't do evil back. If they revile against you, don't revile back. Contrary, different than the way most of the world operates, contrary, you bless those people. Why? Because to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. People always ask me, what's their purpose in life? It's pretty simple. You're to bless other people. It started with Abraham. Abraham, through Jesus Christ, we're in the same covenant with Abraham. God says, I'm calling out a man named Abraham, and I'm going to bless him, and I'm going to bless his people, because through him, I'm going to bless the entire earth. You see? Now, here's where, here's where you got to understand it. Most of us get that part. I'm going to bless, I'm going to bless people. So I'm going to bless. So I, I, I bless you, and 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 I bless you some more. But then I start thinking, because I got this Adam suit, well, when are you going to bless me back? <laughs> and then you start saying things like this. After all, I've done for that person. Yeah, you, that's that inner, yeah you've, you've said that to yourself. Don't look at me so holy. I've already said you're sorry, no good. It's okay. You're made of dirt. You can tell, tell me. Uh, we start thinking, I can't believe after all I've done for that person. They don't do anything for me. You know? We start to get resentful. Because we think that it works the way habits work. What's our men sows, that shall he also reap. But it, it doesn't work that way. Why? Because God owns all the fields. We're all his sheep and, and part of his pasture. You see, if you're a farmer and you plant and you fertilize and you do all the work you're supposed to do and you plant this corn and then it's harvest time and you go to another field where you have it planted, they would say, dumb farmer, you know, you better go to where you planted. And we think that's how it works with people. It doesn't work with people. God owns all the fields. You cannot see the emotional, but you can see the physical. So let me see if I can explain it to you. Anybody ever had an abscess tooth? Have an abscess tooth? Yeah. I had an abscess tooth one time. It hurt so bad. I promise you, if I take a step, it would hurt. It throbbed. Now, when I had that abscess tooth, was I thinking of other people? No. 
only of myself. Like, how can I get drugs? You know, basically, you know, I, I need medication. You know, uh, uh, it was only about myself. I was in so much pain, I couldn't think of anybody else. Some people in your life, probably at least one person in your family, has an emotional abscess. They're in so much pain, no matter how much you bless them, they can't bless you back. But you're not blessing them so they can bless you back. You're blessing them so God can bless you back. I did a national insurance convention this year. I love to do national conventions because they pay lots of money, okay? Uh, and I speak to mainly churches, and you know how that is. And so, uh, uh, so I, I asked this guy, I said, uh, how did I get to do this? Because I wanted to get another one. You know, I'd not do this again. You know, he said, oh, I can tell you exactly why. He says, you came to my church, and uh, before you came, my mother had passed away. My dad had come to live with me. He was depressed, angry. He said, before you came to church, I showed him a picture, a little video on YouTube. And I said, look at this guy. You like this guy? You think he's funny? And he started laughing. And he said, yeah. He said, he's going to be at my church. Would you like to go? He said, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Okay. And then he said this, can he be funny at church? You know, because some people, your halo's on way too, and you can't do that. But, but so, uh, he said, yeah, he'll, he'll be funny there too. So he said he went to church, and he laughed out loud. He said, that night you had a couple's banquet. He asked the pastor, can I come back to that? I want to hear the funny guy again. He said, he came back to that. He said, we bought the book, Comic Belief, and you signed it for him. And said every night from then on, he said he passed away six months later, but every night from then on, he sat in the chair over there and he'd read a chapter and I would hear him laugh. And he thought, in my mind, if ever I can bless the guy that gave my dad a smile back, I'm going to bless him. And when I became president of this convention, you're the only guy that I would consider being the speaker. Now, when he told me the name of the church, in my mind, I thought, that was a pitiful weekend. I mean, I was like in a Motel 3, nobody, you know, probably the only book I sold, you know. <laughs> but now that's totally changed my attitude. Why? Because I can go to any pitiful, and there's a lot of them out there, pitiful church that put me in a Motel 3 and only gives a half to get in the Bible. I, I can, <laughs> because I only have to sell one book. And God can do the rest. Amen. Once you get that, life becomes so much easier. And you can just bless and bless and bless. And blessing other people is really how to live a life of thanks living. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to hear more from Dr. Lowry, head over to charleslowry.com. Available there are books, live DVDs, and MP3s, along with information on his ministry. Once again, that's charleslowry.com.